So here's a question for you. Would you benefit from ongoing support to improve your bottom line and ultimately help you master the business of practice ownership? Tracy Cherpesky International offers you a proven, impeccably designed method to scale your practice while preserving your most precious assets, your time and energy. We blend executive leadership with business coaching and consulting to bring you what you need most to help you become an agile entrepreneurial CEO while serving your patients with the utmost attention to their care. You receive individualized coaching and support from me and our professional team, providing the best of executive leadership and business consulting to grow your practice without you working more. Schedule your complimentary 45-minute practice assessment call at tracycherpesky.com forward slash coaching hyphen benefits. Welcome to Thriving Practice. I'm your host, Tracy Cherpesky, and I can't wait to introduce you to our incredible guests and to share business tips and strategies that will help make your life easier and support you in becoming the exquisitely fulfilled CEO you're meant to be. I am on a mission to help practice owners take back one day per week for the rest of their careers so they can focus on healing their patients and falling back in love with their practice. Join us to learn how you can grow your practice while focusing on doing what you love most, taking excellent care of your patients. You'll want to take notes, so let's go. Welcome to episode 99 of Thriving Practice, the business podcast for medical, dental, and healthcare practices where we help provider owners grow their business and take back their time. I am thrilled to share our 99th episode with you, and I'm equally thrilled that episode 99 is joined by the incomparable, outspoken, and air quotes, team difficult, Lauren L2 Howard president and CEO of L2 and Virtual Health. Virtual Health specializes in clinical operations, healthcare technology, and helping women redefine professionalism. Lauren marries her experience to provide infrastructure design, market fit insights, implementation strategies, growth models, and more to healthcare and allied healthcare companies. She works with groups around the globe to help direct strategy, and advises on growing digital health technologies and platforms in the post-pandemic world. You are in for a treat today. L2 shares her insights and wisdom, starting with the fact that there are no practices without operational needs. In other words, every single practice will have operational needs and would benefit from expert support. What I loved about our conversation is while we talked about operations, mindset and leadership were very much at the forefront. I so appreciated Lauren's practicality about how we all have capabilities and just because we could do something such as build a basic website doesn't necessarily mean we should. We talked about how when you bring in experts in their area to support your practice, you empower yourself to become a better decision maker and practice leader, and ultimately, likely, a better provider. We talked at length about the decision to grow and scale versus staying like a smaller sized practice, and neither is a wrong choice, but being extremely intentional in your choice is key. It's a great conversation. L2 is sharp and engaging, and I know you'll want to take notes. Also, follow her on LinkedIn for refreshing, deep, and powerful stories and insights. Links are all in the show notes there. Lauren's parting wisdom is the following. The way it's always done 
doesn't make it the right way to do it. Trust your gut for the next moves. And it is perfectly acceptable to have a non-traditional medical career. I think you'll love this conversation. So grab a beverage or a snack and settle in to listen to Lauren and her incredible insights. Lauren, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on today. It's so it's wonderful to be here. Yeah. I'm still giggling as we were, you know, talking in the in the yeah. green room air quotes. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna de- yeah. calm down, Chirpesky. I'm transitioning Let's get back yeah. to yeah, exactly. We're now recorded. I'm gonna yeah, transition now, back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, I'm like if we're not having any fun, what's the point of all of this anyway? So here we go. Well, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. And before we dive in, I would love for you to tell us where you're located. Yeah, so uh, I'm technically located out of Orlando, Florida. That's not where I am currently. Um, after a couple of years of the pandemic and working remotely, my husband and I got a little stir crazy and bought a house in rural New Hampshire. Um, so that is where I am currently. Uh, and we kind of bounce back and forth. Um, when it's cold, we come up to New Hampshire, which makes no sense. And when it's warm, we go back to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So you get the best of all yeah. worlds then. And I'm imagining yeah. you're not in a rural setting in Orlando. So no, we are, we're in the middle of Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's lovely. Well, I I think it's apropos of what we're about to talk about, right. That you're able to run your business from anywhere and, um, and that your, your primary business focuses on telehealth practices, correct? Correct. Yeah. So tell us a little about your company and how you support your clients. Yes. So I run uh, a digital health operations consulting firm called, um, virtual health. And we have a sister company called Pines for Health, which is a uh, 50 state medical practice where we can provide telehealth services in any state because we staff clinicians who are 50 state licensed. Our owner is 50 state licensed. Um, because in telehealth, there are our in healthcare in general, there's something called corporate, corporate practices, medicine laws, which means business people can't own care entities in the majority of states. Um, it is just easier for us to keep those two businesses separate, but we operate as one cohesive entity um, and uh, serve in the same positions for each other's businesses. So um, it the only person it makes a difference to is our accountant. Um, <laughs> and so um, we've set it up that reason that way, obviously for a reason, but also because it gives us the ability to not only work in the operations space and clean up what we see are a lot of typical struggles in the telehealth space. Um, But it also gives us the ability to create a clinical component that we know is a quality clinical program that we can oversee, that we can work alongside our operations programs to, to, you know, to make sure that they're both fully functional um, and that they work hand in glove. Um, And so it's, you know, I, I say this all the time, it's the coolest thing I've ever gotten to be part of. I don't think that was the plan. I, you know, my partner and I met kind of accidentally. He was, um, we both got pulled into an opportunity. He was the, um, uh, he was the consulting physician on the opportunity. And I kind of took one look around at what they were talking about and went, oh, all of these people are going to jail. Um, And I called him and said, please don't do this. I don't even know you, but your licenses are worth more than what you'll make from this opportunity. And he basically said, that's excellent. Please don't leave me. Um, and we've been working together ever since because he doesn't want to build operations and mm-hmm. I can't do clinical. I'm not a physician. Um, and so it works really well. Also, because we see organizations all the time that have an operational need, but not a clinical need. 
And we never see organizations that have a clinical need and not an operational need. Uh, It just doesn't exist. And so uh, even people who are very convinced that they do not have an operational need have an operational need. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, that's what we do all day. And I'm very fortunate that I get to play in the sandbox that I love to be in with a partner who uh, is there for the same reasons and that we get to do mission-driven care and mission-driven programs rather than revenue-driven, any of the above. I love that mission-driven care. I think it's it's such a challenge, right? Because the way insurance works and just the way the healthcare system is set up in the U.S. in general, yeah. there's got to be a focus on the finances to a certain extent. This is what I tell my clients all the time. You, you've got to yeah. look at your numbers and you have to be money-focused when you're talking business. But when we come back to the clinical mm-hmm. side, you can, you know, they don't always use this language, but, you know, kind of like drop back into your heart space, get really reconnected with yeah. your mission and, and practice that way. But on the business side, you have to be really practical. And I have yet in tw- uh, almost 13 years of doing what I do, had a healthcare person come to me with no operational needs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I've yeah. also, you know, I've worked with a huge number of clinicians in my career and the situation is always the same. It is very, very hard to give the appropriate level of care to your patients when you're worried about going to 16 minutes on a 15 minute visit. Those yes. two things are mm-hmm. incongruous. And so that's the space that I've always filled. Again, I'm not a clinician. My dad was a clinician. He was an incredible psychiatrist and the world's worst business person, mm-hmm. like by a margin of a lot. Um, and he became even a better clinician than before when he no longer had to look at the books because he knew they were taken care of. When I could worry about how many patients we were seeing and what we were billing them for and what you know what documentation we needed to put together to meet those standards. And he could just treat his patients. And so there is a certain aspect to it that clinician brains are not wired to run the business. And you can learn. That's not to say you can't learn. But there's also something to be said to for just bringing in somebody who can handle that part of it. Because there will there comes a, a breaking point when you can't do both. Because it is there are two so separate sides of your brain. And that's what I found working with when, you know, I love working with amazing clinicians, but they often make the worst mistakes for themselves. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of my former clients, his, before he went to school to, to be in medical care, um, he worked like front of house in restaurants and other hospitality situations. And I remember when we were working together at one point, I said, how do you have such this great business sense and understanding of providing um, a particular level of like hospitality, even to your patients. And why are you seemingly more capable of passing things off and understanding who you need to hire and why you need to hire them than 85% of the rest of my patients, my my clients. And he, he was like, it's because my background in hospitality right? I worked my way to management. That's how I paid my way through school. And you don't forget that stuff. But he said, but even, even I have made the mistake of trying to be too hands-on and it's led me to borderline burnout and wanting to quit yeah. and like, you know, yeah. live some kind of nomad life that isn't aligned with my values. <laughs> you know, it was like, so yeah. I think that it's important that, you know, for our listeners to hear this, that it's okay if you feel like you don't know what you're doing, number one, 
Um, I think also it's okay to want to be very connected to the business aspect of your, of your practice, because it is a business. And I would say, beware being so hands-on that it takes away from your ability to be an excellent provider. You know, most people, that's what they start out in, in a private practice to, to be right. To provide a higher level of care. Yeah. And there is, I mean, there's a huge opportunity cost to focusing on things that do not allow you to practice at the top of your licensure. Mm -hmm. Now, if that means, you know, if not practicing at the top of your licensure in one sense means you're doing, you know, administrative work uh, for a, a physician group, or you are an administrative physician running other physicians, or you're working in academia or things like that, and you're not clinical on the ground every day doing clinical care, that's a very different beast than spending hours every day that you maybe could be working within your licensure and with patients, like balancing books Mm -hmm. or doing marketing or running a website or doing things that, that cost less per hour than you lose when you are not seeing those patients. Um, there Grab is a megaphone there's, and there say that a, again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's yeah. a huge cost to it. And yeah. and it seems it seems cheaper because, well, I'm not paying somebody 60 or a hundred dollars an hour to do this work. I'm saving that money, but what are you losing yeah. as a result of that? And that is um, I think that is the type of um you know, that is the type of balancing that clinical brains don't always do well yeah. because, because they're, you know, you're used to referring to specialists for things that are outside of your specialty, but that is because, you know, kind of parts of the body are very well defined, right? Like yeah. if you're an ENT guy and somebody comes in with an abrasion on your hand, you're like, that is not my specialty. That's obvious. But if you are a very smart person who has gotten through 10 years of school and residency and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I'm probably smart enough to build a website, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not that that's wrong, but it's also not the best use of the skills that you have. And so yeah. you have to think about not what you're forfeiting, forfeiting monetarily. You have to think about what you're forfeiting not like directly monetarily. If you, if you're wasting, wasting is not the right word. If you're using three hours of your day that you could be seeing patients to build a website or to do SEO, or you're missing out on sleep because you're trying to run the business while also seeing a full slate of patients, your longevity is going to be affected and that's not healthy. And so that's why my partner has a me also because I can look at a contract or a an opportunity and find all of the problems with it. Whereas he looks at it as a clinical opportunity where he can help all of these people. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but what about all of these 17 red flags and how it's built, how it's, how it's documented, how, and he's like, well, I just want to fix the people. Isn't that okay? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, there are other opportunities to fix the people that won't end with your licensure being questioned, your, you know, audits from health insurers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, worst case, like you were saying, jail. Or a lawsuit, yeah, right. or right? I yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah, it's it's. You said something really interesting that that I remind my clients of, and I think our listeners need to hear it too. It's like just because you probably could doesn't mean that you 
ought to or should. So, you know, and I think the other piece that's really important because most of my clients don't think about the bottom line all the time. Their focus is so much more and, and so much more on like healing, right? That's what they've come to do. Um, you almost have to, I don't recommend this while being a clinician, but when you're on the business side, being like the strategist and thinking of all the things, put some dollar signs over people's heads and then put some do- of like patients yep. heads, and then put dollar signs over admins heads or a social media manager, whoever, and then put the dollar signs over your own head and compare them all. Yeah. Um, or simplify it. If your rate is, let's just say $300 an hour, that's what you charge for a consult. And you spend four hours working on your website and you miss um, four consults, even though you saved a thousand dollars, you just missed, you know, 1200 that could go to your bottom line. And the conversion on a website built by somebody who knows how to do it (laughs) is going to be better than the one that you cobble together yourself. And that doesn't mean that there aren't situations where it's okay to just toss together a website. That's not the point. Yeah. But, but Taking time, and it's not just directly, you know, it's not like, it it doesn't have to just be, I'm taking three hours out of my workday seeing patients to build this website. It could be out of your family time, your rest time, your sleep time, your restorative time. Those are still costs. And those hourly costs still matter because you have to catch up on them at some time. And is that then going to come out of your workday? Or is it going to come out on early retirement because you just, this is just too hard. Yeah. It's too much work. Um, and so there I are mean, costs. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, having to, having to go out of work for any period of time because you keep getting sick. I mean, especially in practices where we deal with sick people all the time, mm-hmm. you need an immune system and you need <laughs> one that works and is not handicapped by your own decisions. Yeah. And right. so, um, and so all of those things have costs, even if they're indirect. And surrounding yourself with people, even though the finances are scary, surrounding yourself with people who can do the things that are not in your zone of genius, saves you money in the long run. Yeah. It saves you time. It adds years. Um, and it also will help you make better decisions because people are doing what they're good at. Yeah. And you're creating opportunities, right? I mean, sometimes, sometimes I need to like tap the altruistic side for people and say, That's no, true. you're, you're, you could create this tiny little economy within, you know, the four walls or the, you know, ethos of your company of this, of this practice that you're building and you're allowing other people to come and shine and do their best. And I guarantee you that having someone who's an expert in their field come in and shine and you've given them the opportunity to do that will help you shine. And yeah. there are things that can't always be directly connected to the bottom line, but we can start to show there is now there is actually some data that will show what happens when, you know, there's high staff turnover or burnout and things like that. Yeah. But I think, you know, even just like connecting the dots for people and saying, look, we all get it. And of course, if you're listening to the news and you're following all the financial stuff, like, you know, all the things about the yeah. what's going on in the markets and blah, 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 blah. Okay, sure. Inflation. Okay, sure. The economy. Okay, sure. Whatever, whatever. You know, hiring. What is the, what are we calling it? The um, labor shortage. It's really not a labor shortage, yeah. but whatever, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. Let's roll our eyes at that one really hard. Um, whatever <laughs> the narrative is, 
that might keep you running scared and doing things that you think are going to save you time or money or whatever, or that especially money, rethink that. Like it's important to get back into a place of like, okay, but if I could wave a magic wand and my practice were the way I wanted it to be, what would I be doing? What would that look like? Would I be building a website? Would I be sweating, learning how to do SEO? Yeah. I mean, my money's on no. (laughs) So we, um, we hired a chief of staff uh, last year, which was scary because I mean, it was a real, it was our first real salary. Um, And somebody aside from, you know, we pay our physicians, obviously, occasionally we pay them money. Yeah. You know, Um, groceries, but (laughs) exactly. Occasionally, but like with their 1099 and, and they're, you know, they're not full-time for the most part. We have a couple of clinicians who are, but, but they're still 1099 full-time because that's the the work that we offer to clinicians. Um, So when we hired our first real full-time staff member, I was a little scared um, because it felt like a huge it felt like a huge, not even the investment, because I knew we could handle the investment, but it felt like a huge responsibility. Like we can afford this this month, but can we afford this in three months if things don't keep going the way they're going? Can we afford this in six months a year? Um, but we were both overworked. We were both um, running on fumes, trying to cobble together the administrative parts of what we were doing, even though we're both good at it. There just weren't enough hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And what we have found since, and this is something that I know well, but even seeing it in execution or pre-execution, it was still scary, um, is that because she is so good at what she does, because she's so communicative, because she stays on top of things, she follows up, she creates the dialogue, she knows her stuff inside and out, that our opportunities have multiplied multiplied and our likelihood of signing a contract is higher because she is creating such good relationships from it. I mean, she's paid for herself four or five times over easily mm-hmm. because she's just so good at those things. Now, did that, and I knew that would probably be the reality, but still looking at that annual paycheck, I was like, this, this is scary. But mm-hmm. now like you, nobody is going to pry my Bailey out of my cold, dead hands. Uh, we, is, we love Bailey on our end. Yeah. We love a Bailey. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, and she's Ours is and Miranda. The feedback, <laughs> right. Exactly. The feedback that we that I get on her all the time is that she is so thoughtful and communicative mm-hmm. and she makes us want to work with you. And I'm so mm-hmm. impressed with how she organizes all of these things. And all of those things matter in getting you from you know, doing too much on your own and not being able to focus on the real crux of what you should be doing and not only getting you to out of, out of potential burnout, out of being overstressed, but getting you to more success. So they convert into more revenue. It's not like it's just, (laughs) it's just going to be money out of your pocket every month. Bringing in those resources helps you grow and growth means more for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's such a that's such an important point. And I think we get to a point in business, and I would say this is true. I use business and practice interchangeably um, yeah, yeah, yeah. when talking about medical, but we get to a point where we get there's a choice that we need to make. Are we gonna kind of continue to run this as like a small boutique, somewhat hobby? <laughs> yeah. Or are we going to allow this to grow and scale? to really reach the potential of the mission that we originally stated. And, and I think that takes, I think it takes a lot of 
internal work. I think it takes a lot of courage and faith um, and some gumption to be able to like put that stake in the sand and go, yeah, you know what? We're going to, I'm going to allow this to happen. And the way that I'm going to allow it to happen is to stop being a control freak and, you know, both hands in the air. Why do we start businesses? Usually because we like to be in control of things. So I get it. Yes. Fair. And, (laughs) you know, and I, but I, I think there's also, you, you said something super interesting that I think is really important, which is that there is this choice to be made and there isn't a wrong choice there. Yeah. Years ago, I ran a, a mortgage processing business, not even that many years ago. Um, and you know me, I want to take over the world. Like all I want to do is everything. Like if there's an opportunity, I want to take it. I want to capture it. I want to destroy it. I want to grow it. I want to, I'm, I'm just, I'm super low key about how like ambitious I am. Um, and so it was just me for a long time, just doing it as kind of a side business while I was, you know, I, I, I get bored and I go build business. What do I do? And, um, I did that for a while and then um, was like, I really feel like there's an opportunity to just make a whole lot more money here. And so we started bringing in staff. We started growing. We started adding more clients. Well, more clients meant more difficulties. More clients meant more people with more egos, more challenges Uh, in the mortgage industry. It often means more people who are super green and have no idea what they're doing and are willing to bend the rules way more than I was. Mm. Um, and it became very apparent after we tried to grow it that I didn't want to do that, that I had made a mistake in going after this extra money because it, the, the salaries cost me money. The, um, breaking in new clients cost me money. The churn of new clients, which is inevitable cost me money. Um, and after probably three or four months of doing it, I went, this was not the right move for us. If we're going to do this, we're going to stay small. And that I enjoy that. I like being hands-on, but having to outsource the staff was not the right thing for that business. Mm-hmm. Now in my current businesses, give me all the stuff. Give me everything. That is a business that I want to grow and scale. I want to see the impact from it. It's a business I love. It's something that I love being in the high level stuff and letting somebody else handle the minutia. Mm-hmm. But deciding that you want to say sm- stay small enough to support yourself or your your responsibilities and not necessarily grow to a point where you have an entire staff, that's a valid decision. Yes, it is. But it is a choice you have to make. And there is that precipice that you were talking about, that breaking point where you have to make the choice. Yep. And um, And I think a lot of people who maybe are not hyper ambitious like I am, would make the choice to say small and see that as a failure. And that is not a failure. It's not. I think it's a difference in um, leadership in a way, right? And and this doesn't mean that mm-hmm. someone who chooses to stay small and more boutique is not a good leader. Actually, they're being an excellent leader by choosing to stay right. where they want to be. Um, but the business itself is going to demand a rapid and extremely agile up-leveling of leadership skills. If you scale. Yeah. And if that sounds like torture, don't do it. (laughs) Maybe saying small is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're totally right. I mean, in the, in the coaching world, we talk about like the difference of like being a solo practitioner where you can kind of run like now I can't remember what they call it. 
Um, but anyway, kind of staying in the, on the boutique side and just being the solo provider right. or going and scaling and, be, and actually growing like an enterprise. And right. neither one is wrong, right? They're both really good. Correct. And ultimately your paycheck, it probably ends up being about the same once you get to enterprise level, you know, you have other things yeah. to be proud of, but yeah. Yeah. And again, like that is something to keep in mind. There is a cost mm-hmm. for staff. There is a yeah. cost for growth. There's a cost for yeah. marketing. There's a cost, mm-hmm. cost for infrastructure, all of that. Does that also convert to additional financial opportunity for you if you do it right? Absolutely. But what if the difference is $50,000 a year and a whole retraining of your brain? Is that worth it? That's a decision you have to make. And there is no right answer to that. Um, You know, I say this all the time. My husband's a corporate guy. He works in big companies. He He does corporate BS really well. Mm hmm so does mine. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would drown. Yeah. I would be there for five minutes and be like, this is, you, what do you mean? I need six different approvals to make, like mm-hmm. to wipe my nose. I can't yeah, do right. this, <laughs> but there is, there is nothing wrong with the fact that he's a big company guy and I'm a small company person. We've learned that that's who we are. Mm-hmm. And so if you're the type of person that like you want your practice to be you and a front desk person and having that support is all you need to run it successfully, you're making enough to pay both salaries. There's not a whole lot of incentive for you to grow behind beyond that. That's a good decision. Yeah. Growing it because you should is a bad decision. Growing it because you want to touch more lives and you feel like you can see more patients and you can support more people through XYZ. That's a different beast altogether. And that is Completely. that is a very conscious decision you're making. Yeah, I agree. Oh my gosh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I, I'm, we're coming up uh, towards the end of our time together. So I would like to ask if you have any parting wisdom for our listeners. Yeah, I think the thing that drives me most in my career, and I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but it's worked okay for me, is that can... The way it's always been done does not make it the right way to do it. And I think especially in medicine, especially in the, in when you're talking about clinical people, there is this idea that you have to, obviously you have to go to medical school, then you have to do residency, then you have to do, you know, all of the training that is required to be a physician or a clinician or whatever, whatever path of clinician you are, whether nurse. PA, physician, whatever, however you're growing it. There's this idea that you do those things. Oh, and then you have to go get published in all the academic journals. And then you have to go be on 15 different boards and you have to get all of this exposure. And that's the way that it works. And that's the way that you can be successful. If I followed all of the different ways that I was told I had to do to be successful, I would be a miserable lump on the floor. The number of times that I've gone, well, why can't I do it this way? And somebody goes, well, it's just the way it's always been done. And I'm like, mm, not anymore. Can somebody, can you, <laughs> if you can't tell me why, then that's not a real answer. Mm-hmm. And so we see a lot of people having non-traditional clinical careers. We see a lot of people, you know, going back and getting their MBA so they can be better apt to run a business because you don't get those skills from clinical training. Your gut is going to tell you what your next move is, and that may not fit the roadmap of a traditional successful clinician, and that's okay. Keep your licenses, protect your patients, keep everybody healthy, 
do your do your diligence to the people you are responsible for, and then the rest is up to you, regardless what the big handbook of doing clinical right says. Um, and if you can kind of get over, get past, I think is a better way to put it, all of what we're fed of how to do things right. And as long as you're doing it ethically, compliantly, and legally, and do it for you, you will find the career that you that will make you happy. And it may look nothing like anybody else's career. And that's okay. Mm, I love that. That's really sage advice because it's all those years of training and all the dedication. And in many cases, all that student debt, it's got to be worth it. And I don't think it's worth it if you're working your fingers to the bone and miserable. I think there's a different way it can be done with a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment. So I really love that advice. The infrastructure that exists makes it hard. There are ways that if it's not for you, that you don't have to participate in it. Yeah. And that might, that might, it might, people might raise their eyebrows at you. They might think you've lost your mind. Maybe it's true a little bit. That's fine though. That's okay. Um, Maybe you needed to lose it a little bit. Um, (laughs) You know, there are the, the happiest clinicians I know took non-traditional paths Mm -hmm. and they may still be in academia. They may still be running huge programs. They may still be, you know, some of them are, have never taken, have never been appointed to anything higher than just being a clinician, but they love what they do. And that's enough. Yeah. They're not going for admin positions. They're not going for informatics positions. They're just treating their patients just as if that's not what they signed up for. It's not enough. Um, Yeah, exactly. So I just think we we have this idea of what success is in every field. And there is no one form for success. It will take a totally different form for you than it will for me. But if your gut is calling you to it, if you're feeling like that's where you need to head, there is probably a way that is legal, ethical and compliant for you to do it that way, even if the world around you says it's not possible. Mm, I love that. Thank you for that. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Um, our website is, well, we have two websites. We have virtualhealth.com and heinzforhealth.com. That's our operations entity and our care entity. I also own a company called L2, which is specifically focused on female professionals. And so we'd love to have people stop by there, E-L-L-E-T-W-O.com. Um, and then I can be found running my mouth on LinkedIn just about every day. That's how I found you. <laughs> exactly. That's how we discovered exactly. each That's other. That's where I've made yeah. most of the people who fill my yeah. phone right now. Uh, we I met on it. LinkedIn. So I love that. Well, I'm, I'm way so cooler glad. there than I am in real life. So I encourage uh, you. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by the soreness in my cheeks from how hard we were laughing before we started, I'm, I, I, Thank to differ. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fair. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. I, I so appreciate it. And I know that our listeners are going to enjoy this talk. Thank you so much for having me. This was delightful. Uh, and I wish everybody the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thriving Practice. I appreciate you. And I have an ask. If you got value from this show, make sure to share it. You can give a shout out on social media or tell your friends and colleagues about it. You can also subscribe so you never miss a show. To learn more about how we work with practice owners to help them take back their time, head over to tracytrupesky.com. 
While you're there, sign up for our newsletter, which has tips and tools for your practice success. A special thanks to our incredible team and thanks to you, our dear listener, for sharing the gift of your time and attention. I wish you so much success as you continue to move forward in your day. If I can be a resource to you, let's schedule a time to talk. You can find the scheduling link on our website.